Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that is so controversial that we have to begin the show with a long list of disclaimers. Uh, I'm Kevin Barrett of TruthJihad.com with Dr. E. Michael Jones of Culture Wars. Welcome, E. Mike. How's it going? Great, Kevin. Good to be here. All right. So we have a long list of stories, 34 stories. Here. we got to go fast. So let's whip through these crazy disclaimers. Uh, we question things at False Flag Weekly News, especially mainstream narratives. And if you can't handle that, uh, you'll be very disturbed. And you may be so disturbed you need to seek a medical or psychiatric help, but don't seek it from us. Go seek it from somebody that can dispense uh, that stuff at a much lower price than we would have to charge you. Okay, that's enough. For, okay, no more disclaimers. Uh, the euro is heading for zero as Europe's industry shuts down after their idiotic decision to cancel Russia and cancel their own energy supplies. Well, we are not canceling Russia here at False Flag Weekly News, but hey, that puts us in the crosshairs for cancellation too. So after all, if you're not with the witch hunters, you must be a witch. So don't let the bad guys burn us at the stake. Support our fundraisers so we won't have to own nothing and be happy. Uh, <laughs> that's our fundraiser pitch for the week. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, uh, the Euro, the whole Euro economy crashing to zero. Uh, and uh, Orban and Le Pen riding high, trying to resist it uh, when we get further down the list of stories. But we're we're at zero on the list of stories. You better move to story number one here. What's story number one, E-Mike? Oh, there we go. Uh, context, false flag context. We're, we're going to get into these these Ukraine false flags, starting with the Bucha, big Bucha false flag this week. But historical context, when, you know, when bad things happen and, and uh, the American media goes crazy, it's probably a false flag. Uh, the Berlin disco false flag 37 years ago was designed to trigger a U.S. airstrike that killed Gaddafi's daughter. It was supposed to kill him, killed a whole lot of innocent people. Uh, and, and it turned out that LaBelle discotheque bombing in Germany was done by the Americans themselves, as the German investigators said. Um, do you remember that one, Mike? Uh, you're old enough to remember that. I do remember that. I do remember that. And I, the thing that pops in my mind is, are we getting more effective in blocking false flag operations? How long did it take uh, before we realized that was a false flag? It wasn't, the, I'll be honest with you, Kevin, it wasn't the first thing that popped in my mind when I heard this. First thing that popped in my mind was just confusion. But now uh, I think we're uh, basically dealing with once the concept gets established in your mind, you begin to see things that you didn't see before. And I think so it's happening much more quickly. Uh, the Buka thing being a good example. It happened. Everybody's talking about false flag. And it was uh, pretty apparent from the videos that I saw when you see all these dead guys lying there with white armbands. Uh, uh, they were killing Russians. It Indeed. wasn't what they said. Indeed. So uh, we were exposing false flags almost in real time, although it took a couple of weeks to get to the bottom of the pregnant actress false flag at the maternity hospital in Mariupol. Uh, there she is. Turns out that she's not what we thought. We thought she was a crisis actress uh, faking. And no, it turns out she's for real. She's a she, she was pregnant and she told the real story. And the real story is pretty damning to the Ukrainian side. It turns out the Ukrainian military expelled the patients from the best Mariupol maternity hospital, set up their headquarters there, uh, took food away from the women in labor. And then it turns out there was no airstrike. It was a bombing, obviously, by the Ukrainians themselves. And the journalists in military uniform showed up 10 seconds after the so-called uh, airstrike, which was actually not an airstrike, uh, uh, and photographed these women being evacuated despite their protests. 
the whole thing was a sham. And these people were AP. The military journalists were working for AP. AP, of course, named me as one of the world's top eight uh, COVID uh, super spreaders of conspiracy theories. Uh, AP is the NATO uh, number one uh, NATO uh, propaganda disinfo so-called media network. So this thing is now fully exposed. And it turns out that this lady is uh, is innocent and her testimony has blown the whole thing sky high. Yeah, I think the most important thing is the, she implicated AP. The AP guy was there like the director. This is supposed to be journalism, and he's there directing the whole operation. She uh, apparently, apparently didn't want to be photographed with blood all over her face. Uh, being an actress, I guess, she didn't think that was a good idea, but that was the whole point of it, according to the AP guy, who was basically the director, not the reporter, the director of this little uh, propaganda scenario. And now they're actually admitting that they're lying. Uh, in the next story, NBC News reports that U.S. Uh, intelligence officials are now admitting that they're basically lying. Uh, they just say, well, we're using some bad intel, intel with low confidence, but we're trying to get out ahead of the Russians and win the info war. So we'll just put out whatever BS uh, works for that. Uh, they're all but admitting that they're just making up lie after lie after lie when they can just come out and shame, shamelessly admit that. Uh, and the American people don't uh, head for D.C. with torches and pitchforks. It makes me wonder about the American people. Yeah, but are they telling you the truth when they say they're lying? <laughs> yeah, this, they must be from Crete. That's what I'm saying. The man from Crete said all Cretans are liars, but we don't know whether he was telling the truth or lying when he told us that. This reminds me also of Pompeo. Remember that? We lied, we cheated, we stole. Well, were you telling the truth when you told us that, or are you still lying? Yeah, well... <laughs> I, I think that, I think they're pretty much lying, except when they admit that they're lying, in which case they're telling the truth. That's my solution to the Cretan paradox as it applies to U.S. intelligence. <laughs> but uh, so, so, yeah, they're, they're saying uh, I mean, and the way this is written up, of course, is just so classic. Uh, you know, it, it's actually kind of both fun and maddening to read these mainstream stories and see how they try to tiptoe around reality uh, and, and smooth things over. Um, for instance, in this story, uh, it points out that in 2014, just days before Russia invaded uh, the Crimean Peninsula, Russia released a recording of an apparent phone conversation between senior U.S. diplomat Victoria Newland and the ambassador to Ukraine at the time, in which Newland disparaged the European Union. The move was part of a wave of disinformation and propaganda from Moscow. Oh, so it was just an apparent conversation with Vicky Newland saying, fuck the EU. That was all just apparent. I mean, come on, guys. It was real. So Russia wasn't doing any disinformation. Russia leaked a real phone call. But they can't tell you that. Um, it's it's kind of, is it funny or is it maddening? The basic, the bottom line here is in Plato's Republic, when Thrasymachus tells Socrates that truth is the opinion of the powerful. That's what it is. It's not the correspondence between mind and thing. It's the opinion of the powerful. And that's what we're witnessing here. Uh, but the problem is, if that's the case, then you're constantly involved in contradictions. They're constantly throwing things down the memory hole because you can't lie consistently. You're always going to get caught up in your own lies. Yeah, that's why it's so much easier to be a truth jihadi than to join the establishment, because I, I don't have to kind of keep track of uh, what I've been saying. I just, I just say what I think. So next slide. Uh, big false flag alert. This is breaking news. Yesterday, we had to shoehorn this into our list of stories. Uh, this is the attack on the train station in Kramatorsk uh, using a Tochka U 
missile, which apparently is a really old Soviet missile that is very common in the Ukrainian arsenal and either non-existent or extremely uncommon, and presumably they say non-existent, in the Russian arsenal. When this missile strike first happened, the Ukrainian government spokesperson, Mr. Krylenko, uh, accused Russia of using an Iskander short-range ballistic missile, which is what the Russians always use. Uh, but then he later had to correct himself, saying, oh, yeah, well, it was actually a Tochka U rocket, which is what the Ukrainians used. But in this case, it was the Russians that used it. OK, right. Uh, once again, it looks like it's the Ukrainians committing the atrocities and blaming them on the Russians. Uh, this is one of the most pernicious aspects of this whole war, is that the Ukrainians, the Nazis there, they know that every time they kill an innocent Ukrainian citizen, it will be attributed to the Russians. And so they have an incentive to engage in atrocities. That's the really pernicious thing about the media. It's not just that they're complicit, not just they're telling lies. They are actually egging on these Nazis to kill innocent people. And uh, the Russians actually, in reality, have seemingly gone way out of their way to avoid civilian casualties. They didn't take out uh, the electrical system. They didn't take out the phone system. They didn't take out the Internet. Uh, they didn't take out the water and sewage and electricity the way that NATO and the U.S. always do whenever they start a war, whether it's Serbia, Iraq, Libya, Syria, uh, wherever, Afghanistan. They always attack the civilians. And then they also deliberately murder the journalists. If they're journalists in places they don't want them to be, they just bomb them and kill them. Uh, it's a standard operating procedure for NATO. Russia has done the exact opposite, doing everything it can because it views Ukrainians as brother Russians. The Ukrainians, on the other hand, are just full of absolute hatred of Russia uh, that's been ginned up by the CIA disinfo operation since the 2014 neo-Nazi coup. And so the, the hatred-filled Ukrainians are willing to slaughter anybody with the slightest sympathy for Russia. And that's what seems to have happened at, at Bucha, as we'll see in the next slide. Uh, the first story is Newsweek's report. Uh, and if this article in Newsweek didn't set off your BS detector, you need to take it into the repair shop. Uh, and quickly, the folks from the alternative media showed us the reasons why. The next slide, uh, we'll see the Yahoo version. Uh, Russia denies this and says this is a false flag. So we have Russia openly calling out false flags using the term false flag. And Russia says, uh, the official statement says, Russia firmly stands for bringing to justice those out involved in this outrageous war crime. Uh, the main challenge is to ensure a genuinely independent and unbiased investigation, right? What we've been saying about 9-11 for all these years, that's what the Russians are saying about this. Uh, but it turns out that uh, the truth is out there and maybe not as hard to find as one would think. In the next slide, uh, we have the Ukrainian police admitting that they conducted this cleaning up in Bucha a day before the, the dead body. Because the timeline is all wrong for the official story. And Mike, you can take it from there. Yeah, that's the, the, that's the problem, uh, confecting the, the lies and keeping a consistent lying narrative. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to do this. And uh, the 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 more the more they do it, the more the the image, the idea of the false flag comes into clarity. Uh, so, like another example would be Rachak. Uh, that was the false flag that uh, was used to justify the bombing of Serbia. It took a while, actually. They did actually put the no-fly zone in. It actually started bombing it. If you go to Syria, it didn't work in Syria because it was exposed that the, the, the ISIS crowd were the ones who released those chemical weapons. So I'm, I'm, it's a little bit like uh, uh, addiction to drugs. You know, the more you use it, the less effect it has. That, that's what we're seeing here. 
Yeah, it sure seems that way. Well, in in, in this story, uh, we see that the the timeline here is is that they're telling us. Uh, well, we'll we'll actually get to the timeline more when we get into the satellite photos. But in in this case, we, what we do know is that the Russians pulled out. And then the Azov Brigade of neo-Nazis moved in and cleaned up the town, quote unquote. And then it was two days later that bodies were somehow discovered in the streets. Uh, that is kind of a prima facie problem in the timeline. And then we have the actual the videos of the Azov guys. I mean, these, these neo-Nazis shamelessly post videos of their own atrocities. Uh, and one of these guys uh, in one of these these basically snuff films, these kill videos that these Azov guys put out, uh, is asking if he can shoot people who don't wear the blue armbands. And especially they're going to shoot the people who have the white armbands, which indicates uh, sympathy for Russia and or surrender. The Russian troops themselves wear the white armbands and Ukrainians wear them if they're telling the Russians, uh, you know, I'm on your side or I'm not an enemy. And so these people, these dead people have white armbands, um, which suggests, of course, that it was the Azov brigade that that shot them. Uh, and this is the Daily Mail story uh, showing this video that the Ukrainian neo-Nazis post shamelessly uh, murdering captured Russian troops, tying their hands behind their backs, doing exactly what happened to those victims in Buka. What do you think, Mike? I think they should have taken off the armbands. Why didn't they put blue armbands on the on the corpses? That They, they screwed up. That's, yeah, that's they, what happens. It's you not every it. corpse that has the white armband, but uh, but several of them. I do. saw I saw, saw several corpses with white armbands. That was a total screw up on the part of these people. They should have put blue armbands. But they're you know when you're involved in this type of deception, the deception takes over, and you end up exposing yourself. Well, they're terrorizing uh, Ukraine too, of course. The and they have been ever since uh, this uh, coup in 2014. And so part of this, I think, is it's sort of like the way 9-11 terrorized us. Once we see kind of what's going on, uh, most people, their brains just shut down and, and you turn into quivering blobs of jelly. And likewise, if you're in Ukraine and you see this stuff, you see these neo-Nazis can just uh, murder people and leave them in the streets and blame it on the Russians and get away with it, uh, it probably kind of demoralizes you. And in the same way that uh, 9-11, the truth about 9-11 actually demoralizes most of the people who start to sort of sense it. And then they just shut down their brains. It's a kind of a uh, it's a fear, fear-based uh, mind control and, and trauma-based mind control technique. Uh, well, in, in the next slide, we have the RT story. Uh, this is Scott Ritter's uh questioning of what really happened in, in Bucha. And he uh, goes over the timeline that says the Russians evacuated Bucha on March 30th. The Ukrainians, uh, National Police entered March uh, 31st. The next day, that was the day that the mayor announced the town was fully under control of Ukrainian officials. And nobody mentioned anything about mass killings at the time. And of course, there was no, no social media whatsoever suggesting any mass killings or suggesting that anybody worried about what happened to their friends or relatives during the Russian occupation. Nothing like that. And so suddenly we get this videotape uh, two days later on April 2nd showing these supposed Russian atrocities. So I think Scott Ritter is right. This timeline totally uh, blows the official story uh, sky high. Yeah, I mean, part of what uh, is going on here is we keep using the word Nazi, uh, and we're, it's not clear uh, what, what the what the problem here is. The problem here is it goes back to the time of the uh, the Einsatzgruppen, 
where they were basically taking the law into their own hands and simply going around executing people. Anytime, Liddell Hart had a, a book on uh, irregular warfare. He said, anytime you engage in guerrilla warfare, you always attract criminals. And you're attracting criminals who do not follow the rules of law and are willing to engage in any type of criminal activity as long as they can uh, achieve their end. So that's the first problem. The second problem is all of these groups take on a life of their own, even after the war is over. It's very hard to stop this type of thing. And it, so the weaponization of the Mujahideen in Afghanistan spilled over into one country after another uh, after the after they were no longer needed, including uh, attacks on on Americans. So this is dangerous. It's like it's like the human equivalent of uh, biological or biological chemical warfare when the wind changes. Yeah, with these paramilitary intelligence agency types trained squads of fanatical uh, killers, uh, paramilitaries, it's hard to fully control them. That's a good point. In the next slide, we'll see the official response to questioning the timeline narrative is to break out satellite images. Remember the satellite images that showed Iraqi tanks poised to invade Saudi Arabia in 1991? Uh, well, they were fake satellite images, but they convinced the Saudis to let the Americans come into Saudi Arabia to fight Iraq in Kuwait. And so here we have some satellite images from uh, Maxar Technologies, which is a major contractor for NASA and an integral part of the NATO military industrial complex, telling us that these bodies were lying around for three weeks in the streets. Mike, do you buy that? Oh, didn't they do Toy Story? <laughs> yeah so this is, this is how, like many, a, how many how many so fake fake imagery just leads you to lose contact with reality and you start to live in a fantasy world until you wake up and then you realize oh it was a fantasy world this is ha what happened in plato's republic there's a natural inclination not to believe that but once it happens the whole thing collapses like a house of cards that i think that's the the silver lining in this cloud here so the satellite company Maxar Technologies started working with Pixar Technologies to make uh, make some I images to support their uh, tall tale as the headline in our next story. The mainstream media's uh, Bucha tall tale uh, goes over this and points out that this idea that the bodies would be lying out there in the streets in the open for three whole weeks without undergoing massive decay, uh, being uh, devoured uh, by scavengers and so on. And then, of course, there's the, the white armbands on uh, some of the bodies. Uh, and, of course, that uh, uh, then we have a, a video of the uh, of Ukrainian uh, Azov Brigade guys saying, oh, uh, these are the guys without the blue armbands. Can we shoot them? And uh, bleep, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, this this whole thing really fell apart. But if you know the majority of people who are watching mainstream media and fake alternative media, you know, Democracy Now and, and the Nation and things like that, may uh, still believe that the Russians did this. Well, it goes. It go, I've already mentioned Ratchak, which was the the uh, false flag that led to the war against Serbia. It goes all the way back to World War II goes all the way back to when Eisenhower comes into Ordruf, the concentration camp, and there are dead bodies on the ground. Okay, they're real. I agree with you. They're real. Okay, but what does it mean? So you have a, a category of reality. That's the body on the ground. But then you have to impose a category of meaning on top of it. And that's how you get propaganda. So they all died in gas chambers. Well, wait a minute. There weren't any gas chambers in Ordruf. There's nothing there. 
they died of something else. Maybe it was typhus. But we're not supposed to look into that because this is the way propaganda works. Have to have a gory image that shocks you. You're kind of stunned. And then the meaning gets imposed on it from the people who are uh, promoting the propaganda. And so we also have to be thinking about the meaning as well as the facts. So now that we've got the facts, which are that it's very likely that these people were actually killed by the Ukrainian side, not the Russian side, uh, and that this thing was all actually prearranged to create a shock and awe false flag. Why was that done? Well, a pretty good analysis here uh, from the Saker suggests that the number one purpose was to change the narrative from these non-existent uh, Ukrainian so-called victories, right? Hey, Ukraine is winning, Russia is losing. That's what they were saying for such a long time. But now they're changing the narrative to stop the Russian atrocities. Uh, would you agree, Mike, that that would probably be the number one purpose of this false flag? Well, that's that Saker said it before it happened. So uh, I think it's true. He was he was proven right by the, the course of the event. So we're supposed to forget the beginning of this campaign, which was basically uh, three Russian, uh, three Ukrainian grannies in yoga pants stopped an entire column of Russian armor. And the Ukrainians are winning and Russia's bogged down and blah, blah, blah. And he said, as soon as it becomes obvious, like with the fall of Mariupol, when the mayor says, well, they left or they're gone, then you have to switch to atrocity stories. So I think uh, events have proved him right. And then the second purpose was to obfuscate the evidence showing that it's actually the Ukrainian side that's doing the atrocities. Uh, if you have a big enough story and call it Russian atrocities, then people forget about all of these Ukrainian atrocities, video, that they're posting all these selfies and videos themselves of themselves committing atrocities, showing you know which side has the mentality to be committing these atrocities in the first place, especially over in Mariupol. So don't look at don't look at the actual Ukrainian atrocities in Mariupol. Look at the fake Russian atrocities here in in Bucha. And I'm saying that the main people responsible for this are the Western media who run with this, with, run with these lies. They are encouraging these people to kill innocent people. They are encouraging atrocities. They're encouraging war crimes. There should be some type of uh, statute when you're an accomplice to war crimes, which is what the media are. And I've been saying that since 9-11, and I actually have caught some flack for suggesting that the the top uh, media executives should be uh, tried for 9-11 uh, treason and uh, perhaps convicted and executed. Um, the media didn't like that when I said it 10 years ago, but I'm not sure I was wrong. So uh, the final purposes of this false flag would be to condition, uh, the, the, you know, to, to further push the hate Russia uh, stuff in the West and cancel Russia. And finally, uh, it amounts to a total declaration of war on Russia. Now, Larry Johnson in this next story, and he's going to be on my radio show next week. Uh, he's a, a former special ops trainer, and he's a, a good counter-narrative guy on Russian issues. Uh, he points out that this Bucha false flag, flag op has failed, that it was, he thinks it was designed to actually try to put NATO boots on the ground, but he says NATO's talking tough and posturing like a model in a Madonna video, but it comes to action, Zippo. NATO is just cringing in impotent rage. Uh, and then he points out that there are no social media posts whatsoever giving any support to this Russian atrocity story. No social media uh, wondering about disappeared relatives or people gunned down in the streets by fleeing Russians. Uh, so the idea that these bodies lay in the street for three weeks and then the media tried to change it to two weeks uh, without anything on social media about these bodies or anybody being gone or dead is just ridiculous. I think Larry Johnson has a point. 
that the alternative media are catching up and they are determined, they're blocking the narrative. It's, so it's not, I mean, was that just wild optimistic? Was that just wishful thinking on my part when I said that false flags are starting to fail? Well, the speed with which they're being exposed is some indication that it's not just wild uh, wishful thinking on my part, that they are failing. And, and they're failing because they're being used over and over again with a diminishing effect. That's, that, that's the problem here. They keep using the same strategy and it keeps being exposed and it doesn't work as effectively as, as, as you thought it was going to work. Yeah, I, I agree. So I don't know what they're going to do next. I mean, one strategy is to just keep upping the ante and do a more and more horrible false flag every week. So if you if you double the size of the atrocity, then somehow you can overcome the people's being inured uh, to these propaganda. But, but he, he's proposing that there is an objective criterion and the objective criterion would have been uh, NATO declaring a no fly zone over over uh, Ukraine and and similar to the one that they wanted to declare uh uh, for Syria, and that that's an objective uh, indication that it failed, that the false flag has failed. Indeed. And so uh, Saker's uh, view that they're changing the narrative because they cannot sustain the narrative of the Russians losing any longer uh, would be supported by our next story, uh, which is about the 60,000 Ukrainian troops trapped in uh, Kramorsk, which is where the train station bombing happened. We mentioned that earlier. That was yesterday's big false flag. And the, these uh, Ukrainians, see the, the Ukrainian regular military, apparently each unit of the regular military has a, a neo-Nazi mini unit that will shoot it if they try to surrender. Yeah. Uh, so those neo-Nazi mini-units, which are distributed throughout the entire Ukrainian military and are really running the show, are also implicated in these atrocities against civilians. You know, a third or more, in some cases actually over half, depending on the area uh, of Ukraine, and especially the eastern and southern parts of the country, are Russian sympathizers and Russian speakers. And those are the people who are getting the brunt of the atrocities and they're being committed by these Ukro-Nazis. And so now the Ukro-Nazis are digging trenches in the backyards of the people in these areas uh, to essentially invite civilian casualties by using the people as human shields. The people are filling in the trenches uh, to try to make sure they don't have a trench in the backyard with a Nazi in it uh, shooting at Russians, making their house a target. Uh, so the bottom line here, though, is that they had to do this latest false flag in Kramorsk at the train station because the 60,000 Ukrainian troops there are now cut off, no hope of resupply, no reinforcements, uh, and it's time to change the narrative. We have to admit that they're losing. Now the narrative has to be Russian atrocities. Yeah, so it's it's uh, like the Soviet army. You had commissars there who were basically the political arm of the Communist Party, and they would uh, take out any uh, member of the battalion who was not following the party line and shoot them. That's precisely what has taken over here with the, with the Ukrainian army. And now the problem is that these people are going... They're going to put the Russians in a bind by uh, putting themselves in the middle of civilian populations. That's what came out with the Mariupol maternity hospital story, how they deliberately uh, deliberately put their units, took over what uh, op operations like hospitals, maternity hospitals, even worse, uh, basically to make it impossible for the Russians to retaliate without taking uh, civilian casualties much as, as much as they tried. The whole problem with Russia's strategy is that they're not willing to kill civilians. They are not. It's not part of the strategy. 
which is, as you pointed out, was always the part of the American strategy in any invasion, to attack the civilian population. That was the whole strategy of the bombing campaign against Germany in World War II, attack the civilians. It's, it's very difficult to drop a bomb on a military target. They found that like 80, 90% of the bombs don't land near the target. But densely populated civilian areas are really easy to hit. And that's precisely what the uh, Allied bombers decided to do. And of course, that's what the uh, Ukrainian neo-Nazis have been doing in the Donbass since 2014, shelling civilian areas nonstop. And that's one of the main reasons that Russia finally decided to move into Ukraine. <clears throat> so uh, speaking of, of the reasons uh, behind this war and interpretations of what's really at stake, let's move on to that section of our show. Uh, first interpretation here is from CNN, and this is the uh, mainstream media propaganda interpretation. Uh, and I guess they're still trying to keep this uh, Russia is losing narrative going, and they're especially trying to keep the Poodler narrative going. Putin is Hitler. Uh, but of course, uh, it's not uh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine is not a perfect equivalent of Hitler's invasion of the Soviet Union. Because, according to CNN, there is no moral equivalence between Joseph Stalin, the Soviet dictator, and Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. Well, CNN, I think that's true. Stalin didn't make gay porn videos and he couldn't play piano with his penis. That's so there's right. no equivalent whatsoever. That's right. Yeah, I once I once compared uh, George Bush to Darth Vader. And everybody got upset. So I issued an apology. I said, if Darth Vader and his relatives were upset by this comparison, I apologize. So we're dealing with the same type of thing here. We have a paradigm that is going to be imposed on a reality. A category of the mind is going to be imposed upon reality. And the Catholics, I have to say, are especially vulnerable to this because of the message of Fatima. They just had this idea that Russia is somehow uh, an evil Russia will spread her errors. There's something intrinsically evil about Russia, which plays right into this Cold War playbook, but now it's completely reversed. So you got all of these Catholic generals fighting the last war and incapable of uh, understanding that the world has changed. And we'll be talking about some uh, well-known yes. Catholics later, uh, yes. the, the, uh, the Pope and Vigano. And uh, frankly, I think maybe the wrong one is Pope, but we'll, we'll get to that in, in a little bit. But uh, this article classically attributes, you know, to the other side, what's really going on with with this, the its side. In other words, they're, they're claiming that Russia is losing because Russia is having logistical problems. That's how that's the comparison with Hitler invading the Soviet Union. But the fact is that, yeah, maybe Russia is having some logistical issues, but the real logistical problems are on the Ukrainian side where they've been cut off in cauldrons and so on and so forth. And then, of course, the lies about the Russian so-called brutality. In fact, it's the Ukrainian brutality that's off the charts. So they're attributing to the other guy what they're doing themselves. Classic technique. In the next slide here, uh, this is Paul Craig Roberts. Uh, he's criticizing Putin, too, but he's not calling him Hitler. He's saying that Saint Putin is uh, is too kind and gentle. It's time to be uh, no more Mr. Nice Guy. And that's what Roberts has been saying about Putin for years and years and years. He, Putin is way too nice, kind, gentle, and idealistic. And uh, actually, there's I think there's some truth to that. I think Roberts uh, exaggerates quite a bit. But it's true that the Russians decided not to go into Kiev and um, and other cities because they don't want to do the house-to-house -house fighting that kills a lot of civilians. They've done everything they can to keep the civilians happy, uh, fed, uh, watching uh, stupid propaganda by leaving their media up and so on and so forth, uh, keeping their utilities, their water, their sewage, their electricity, 
uh, and on and on and on. So yeah, maybe maybe Roberts has a point. Uh, Putin is too nice. What do you think, Mike? Well, it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback, you know. And and uh, Paul Craig Roberts was associated with the the Reagan administration, and maybe picked up that that attitude that uh, they, we should be as bad as they are, that we should be as bad as our enemies. But I, I, it's hard to it's hard to second guess Putin. He's in the middle of a situation. Uh, like, like I, I keep talking about it, and there are all these this crowd shows up and says, "Well, it, it's Jews on both sides." That, that's the, so you can't talk about that. You can't talk about well. Wait a minute, that doesn't really mean anything. The question is, who controls whom here? And the biggest, the biggest crisis, not just in the Ukraine but uh, worldwide, is whether the people who govern are actually in charge, or whether they really are being governed by people behind them who have lots of money and power. This is the the issue in uh, DeSantis and versus Disney World in Florida. That's exactly what that issue is. It's the same issue in Russia. So after the war, after the fall of communism, Yeltsin brings in Jeffrey Sachs, and Jeffrey Sachs basically allows the looting of the entire country. Seven of the oligarchs are Jewish. The money goes to Wall Street, and then uh, Putin comes along, and it's 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 the end game. They're going down, and he's got to make some decisions. Well, the question, the big question is, do the Jews control the president, the oligarchs control the president, or does the president control the oligarchs? And I think if you look at it that way, I think that Putin took charge, not going to expel all these people. If they're going to work with him, that's okay. And I think that's the type of situation that he has to deal with militarily as well. You know, you how far are you going to go? How far are you going to become like your enemy? How far are you going to allow yourself to be turned into Nazis who are going to be uh, engaged in indiscriminate warfare against the civilian population simply because you want to uh, win the war on CNN's time schedule? That's, mm-hmm. that's the issue. That's a good point. Yeah, Roberts points out that Washington's wars are ruthless. Everything's blown to pieces, including weddings, funerals, kids' soccer games. So Russia should do that? I don't think so. Uh, well, speaking of Russian oligarchs, uh, how about our our next story? Uh, Khodorovsky, uh, the exiled Russian anti-Putin oligarch, is warning that Putin might invade the Baltic countries. He's at war with the United States and NATO. Well, Khodorovsky may be a total scumbag, one of the world's worst individuals, uh, but he may be right about that. I mean, yes, Russia is at war with NATO. Uh, wouldn't you agree? Well, certainly NATO is at war with Russia, so why wouldn't it be the case? I think one of the one of the tragedies here is what has happened to countries like Poland uh, and Estonia. I, I had uh, friends in Estonia. I was going there for a while, uh, and I kept warning them: you got forty percent of your population is Russian. It's a bad idea to antagonize these people. Okay, Poland is another example. Okay, you had before this time before the war. You had a kind of Eastern Bloc contesting uh, uh, NATO's uh, uh, LGBT uh, agenda. That has been obliterated because of the resurgence of Polish Russophobia. Hungary has made it clear. Orban just got reelected. Hungary has made it clear they're not going to demonize Russia. They're still going to get their energy from Russia. And that has split that kind of uh, uh, culture wars alliance uh, in Eastern Europe. The, Pol- the Poles, my Polish friends... Um, would do well to remember what happened in 1939, where they they went into they were their intransigence uh, vis-a-vis uh, discussing the fate of German citizens now within Polish borders uh, was basically stoked by the British, 
by uh, Churchill in particular, who was determined to use the Poles as his stalking horse, as his human shields uh, to advance, uh, to promote a war against Germany. They are being led into exactly the same type of trap now, except it's the United States is doing it. And the United States is leading Europe into the trap. That's what Pepe Escobar writes about in our next uh, story. This is uh, Pepe's latest piece. He's been cranking them out at a furious pace. He points out that this is a U.S. detonated demolition of the EU. The Americans are nudging the EU into ever-increasing sanctions that will collapse their national economies, allowing the U.S. to scoop up everything. That's why uh, Macron is now promising the French we're going to have uh, food stamp rationing coupons like in World War II. No wonder Le Pen is surging in France. And uh, Pepe points out that it, we're going from the petrodollar to ruble gas and that Russia is moving its gas away from Europe towards China, maybe not as fast as Paul Craig Roberts would like. So it's another great article from our friend Pepe Escobar, who we like to visit in Tehran and yes. stay again, inshallah. Met him, met him in Tehran, yes. Uh, the, the key uh, country here is, of course, Germany. And the key uh, our cultural artifact to understand the Germans is the film Untergang, I think, which is about Hitler's last days in Berlin. So the army has collapsed. The, the soldiers are just trying to get home. Just leave me alone. Just try to get home. And there are SS units who are capturing them and they're uh, putting them up against the wall. And just before the, um, the just before the SS executes the guy, the soldier says, Heil Hitler. Is this what Germany's going to do now with America? America is lining Germany up against the wall and ready to shoot them. And are the Germans going to say, God bless America, as they get gunned down by the Americans? And I'm talking specifically about the energy politics here. Germany cannot afford to antagonize Russia. They cannot afford to cut off. They need to open that Nord Stream 2 pipeline or they're going to go end to exactly the situation that the Jewish uh, Secretary of Treasury Morgenthau had planned for them in 1946, which is basically they're going to be a small agricultural country that is going to starve to death. That was his plan. If they continue supporting NATO in its weird crusade against Russia, they will end up exactly for what Morgenthau had planned for them. So it's, it's total suicide for the Europeans. The Americans think they're doing well, at least short term, because they're propping up their petrodollar by terrorizing the world. Whenever there's global instability, people flee to the dollar because it has this imaginary aura as a source of stability. And then, of course, by they're plundering Europe. They're forcing Europe to buy energy from America at ridiculously inflated prices. All of this wipes out the euro at, and props up the dollar. But Ellen Brown says it's not going to work. I mean, everybody pretty much says it's not going to work, at least not long term. The dollar is going down. Ruble gas is coming up, as Pepe Escobar says. I just had Ellen Brown on my radio show last night discussing this article. Uh, it's, a, it's a great article, a summary of the rise and fall of the petrodollar. Yeah, well, the other side of the coin is you're going to do these, our, 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 our sanctions office at the Treasury is going to destroy the dollar as the world's reserve currency. You They just took a big step forward with this whole thing. Uh, Putin now wants to charge uh, rubles for gas. The Germans are up in arms. I'm not, you're breaching the contract. The Germans say, well, guess what those sanctions are? Aren't they a breach of contract? If if they keep pushing in this direction, you keep driving the, the Russians into the arms of the Chinese and the Iranians and the Indians, and suddenly you're going to have a united Eurasian landmass where they won't need the dollar as reserve currency. 
Well, so you get, you know, it's like the, the guy who jumped out of the building, the, the 70th floor, and he's going past the 35th floor, and you say, uh, how's it going? So he says, so far, so good. Uh, it's not going to end well, no matter how good it's in the short run. I agree. So so one aspect of this war is that it's a U.S. war to prop up unipolar hegemony, and it's uh, doomed to fail, at least in the long term. Another aspect of it is that it's an age-old war of, of racial national hatred. But by whom? Is it Ukrainians versus Russians, or is it something else? Are the Hazars involved? Uh, well, Zelensky is openly admitting that his goal is to turn Ukraine into a greater Israel. So I had Henry McCoe on my show last night discussing an article he published about Ukraine as a new Hazaria, that is a, a new quote-unquote Jewish state uh, where the Hazar, that is European Jews, can can kind of, at least, if not return, at least kind of own the place, and that there's an age-old uh, animus between the Jewish Hazar Empire and the Kievan Rus Christian Empire, which destroyed it a thousand years ago. Uh, Mike, is, is this a relevant factor? Yeah, it's the most relevant factor of all, because what you're talking about is the true Jewish homeland. It's not Israel, okay? It's the Pale of the Settlement, which is what it was called after the partition of Poland, when 90, 95% of the world's Jews uh, uh, ended up on Russia's western border. This is the border with the West at a crucial moment when Enlightenment thought, subversive Enlightenment thought, is penetrating eastward into the shtetl in a language they can understand a lot more easily than Russian. I'm talking about German and Yiddish. Yiddish is a dialect of, of German. This has always been the case here. And so what you had when the revolutionary fervor broke out, uh, unmistakably when the when the Jews at Nardiavolia murdered the czar, the uh, pogroms were the result, and a lot of those Jews came over here. Well, they brought with them, part of their baggage was this ancestral hatred of Russia. And now you got that part of the binary weapon, the Victoria Newlands, the Henry Blinkens, the people who begin every conversation with, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust, combining with the Banderites who were, had this uh, uh, animosity for the Holdemore. Okay, they starved. Who starved? The, who starved the Ukrainians to death? We know millions of Ukrainians died. Was it Russians or was it Jews? Was it Lazar Kaganovich? Was he a Russian? No, well, no, he was a Soviet uh, uh, apparatchik who had the same Jewish animus. So you have these two. Now you have these blind Azov crowd blaming the Russians for something that the Jews did. And they're collaborating with the Jews for their own extinction. That's what's going to happen over the long haul, because as soon as these people, the Azov brigade uh, ceases to be useful, the Jews will turn on them and they'll resurrect the whole Kazaria Pale of the Settlement operation. Okay, so so we've discussed what this war is really all about, and now let's look at what it isn't really all about, which is democracy. That's the propaganda line in the Western media. But even Foreign Affairs magazine, of all places, has to admit that, well, no, it really isn't the democracies of the world versus the evil dictatorial autocracies like Russia. In, in fact, uh, most of the people in the world who live in so-called democracies are not on board with the sanctions against Russia. India is not on board. South Africa is not on board. Uh, the Latin American democracies, such as they are, uh, are not on board. None of them have sanctioned Russia. 
So, and then finally, the other point this article makes is that the future of global order will be decided not by wars in Europe, but by the contest in Asia on which events in Ukraine have limited bearing. Hey, I, I, I was surprised to see uh, some common sense in Foreign Affairs magazine. Well, at a certain point, don't they have to contact, make contact with reality? I mean, do, do the people, do the oligarchs believe their own propaganda? Yeah, that's, some, that's a good some, point. This is for the elite. This is the elites writing for no, the this elite. Is, this is not USA Today or yeah. whatever it's called. You know yeah. what I mean? This is not CNN. This is where the elites talk to each other. And they're they're going to have to have some type of truth here. Otherwise, they're going to drink their own Kool-Aid. That's not a good idea. I guess so. Yeah. Well, they, I think they are drinking a lot of their own Kool-Aid. But every now and then, the Kool-Aid party has to stop for at least a pause. Uh Okay, let's let's move on to the the religious interpretations of Ukraine. Uh, we mentioned this earlier uh, this week. Pope Francis kissed the Ukrainian flag. Well, Mike, I sure hope it was not an ex cathedra kiss. This is this is a trial for every single Catholic, because ever since this man became Pope, he has made a mockery of the Church's charism of infallibility. And as you pointed out just a moment ago, the church uh, speaks infallibly when it speaks as ex cathedra, which just means a formal statement, a formal statement that has to do with faith or morals. So who is winning uh, in this particular war and who you should side with is not uh, you cannot speak infallibly on this. It's just not part. It's like saying, can you speak infallibly on who's going to win the World Series? No, you can't do that. You can't do that. And the fact that this pope has shot his mouth off so many times in airplanes over one thing after another has simply cheapened and uh, debased uh, something that is real and something that is an essential part of the Catholic Church. So sorry. No, he's not infallible when it comes to uh, this type of statement. So, so when you uh, prophesized that you know the the previous Pope uh, Benedict wouldn't be Pope forever, and then just uh, a few hours after that he stepped down, uh, you know you you'd been thinking that the next Pope might be a, a much better one who would open up good relations with the Muslim world in general and Iran in particular, um, but it seems we may have to wait for another Pope. Where, are you getting ready to like prophesize? Maybe we we need a new pope, right? Because we need you now. I I will make a prophecy right now. It's the same prophecy I made in Qualm, uh, and the, the prophecy is this pope won't be pope forever. I guarantee you that is a true. Pro that will come true. Okay, well, you're probably likely to, to get that one right, too. Uh, might not happen quite as fast as it did last time. Anyway, here we are with uh, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano's interpretation of this. He speaks of our of the cocaine-addicted president of Ukraine. He says this is a war for the Great Reset, a war that began some time ago and remained underground, became evident with the pandemic. It's a war of the elite against the whole of humanity. You know, Mike, if this guy were Pope, I might buy into this papal infallibility. <laughs> okay, I will arrange it, uh, Kevin. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> okay, I will arrange it. No, my 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 vision of uh, what should have happened is that the next Pope should have immediately gone to Iran. That was the obvious because they were in the crosshairs. It could it could have opened up a whole new uh, dialogue. It could, but it, you know. I don't know why why God doesn't listen to me. I don't know. I'll, I'll well, tell sometimes you later. he does. Sometimes he doesn't. I think that's that's how it works with most of us. Um, have, we haven't achieved the requisite degree of sainthood and become the awliya yet, but we're working on it. Uh, so, well, Putin's, I guess, working on it too. He found God, or so Yahoo News tells us. Uh, they quote a philosopher, Ivan Ilyin, who wrote Our Tasks. 
which predicted the rebirth of Christian Russia. And uh, now we're told that the war in Ukraine is a conflict with an overwhelmingly religious and cultural dimension uh, in which the Ukrainian government is cast as a malignant tool of satanic and degenerate Western forces. Father Tikhon, who's apparently uh, a spiritual advisor to Putin and brought Putin to Christianity, here's his confessions, uh, interprets things that way. And I think I think they're onto something too. So it, is, it isn't just the uh, Catholic uh, Vigano that's making sense here, but some of the Russian Christians are making sense too. No, I think that this is proof that the Fatima consecrations that John Paul II did in 1984, I think it, it worked. Uh, I, I mean, it, is, is, is anyone claiming that uh, Russia is a communist country anymore? No, it, it, it's a Christian country. Okay, now uh, there are Catholics who uh, don't agree with the uh, Russian Orthodox position on the filioque clause. Okay, I happen to be one of those Catholics, but does that change the, their role, Russia's role in history at this moment? Do you have to be a saint in order to be uh, the cutting edge of Logos in human history? Was uh, Alexander the Great a saint? Did he prepare the world? for uh, a create a lingua franca, a Greek that allowed communication and the move, forward movement of Logos. Was Napoleon a saint? He certainly was an enemy of the Catholic Church. I mean, this you don't understand, you don't have a realistic understanding of the way God moves in history if you have these narrow uh, 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 blinders that restrict the, you from seeing the big picture. That's a good point. Well, this article quotes Alexander Dugan, who's another guy that we met in Tehran. Uh, I had a very good conversation with Alexander Dugan. And, you know, whatever you want to say about his philosophy overall, when he says, quoted, it falls to Russia to save the world from Western degeneracy and nihilism. Well, somebody's it's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. Yeah. You know, I was in you and I were in the same room with uh, Alexander Dugin at that conference in Mashhad. And because I was in that room, I am now being accused of being a KGB agent. Well, I'm even worse because I, I had a long face to face conversation with him about our, our shared love of traditionalism. So, yeah, uh, call me a, a, a KGB stooge, too. I yeah, guess. I, I think I think that I agree with that statement. I think that that's what the, the battle in the Ukraine is about. And that's why I dragged in the whole term, the gay disco. Uh, to talk about it. This is a battle over the gay disco. I think that Father Tacone We'll, we'll get right. to that story in a bit. But, you know, I don't totally agree with Dugan about, about everything. Uh, I'm not that much of a Heideggerian like he is some some days of the week anyway. In fact, he's, he can be confusing. And, uh, you know, some folks I respect have raised good questions about his thought. You know, I'd have to sit down with him for a lot longer than I did to hash things out and figure out what I really think of the guy. However, uh, I do think that that general... Uh, recognition that there is a kind of a, a new world order war going on here with satanic forces uh, rising, uh, trying to create a one world dictatorship, and then uh, traditional religious-based opposition to that. That's that's probably uh, pretty obvious to most of us. Uh, and the next article gets into the same sort of thing here. This is from Veterans Today once again, which has been doing all sorts of uh, interesting stuff after a lot of people tuned out VT due to the, their position on COVID and vaccines. Now the same people are coming back to VT, uh, finding its Ukraine war coverage uh, useful. And this particular article uh, says, Christianity ended in Ukraine in 2014 when the CIA, Hazarian Mafia, occultists uh, from Poland's Freemason community who were part of Gladio helped stage the coup. So that was a Gladio coup by the same suspects, these uh, 
Freemasonic Satanists, same people behind so many of the hijinks in the Vatican, apparently, including the sexual Freemasonry. So this that's it's speculative, but it sounds uh, reasonable to me. What do you think, Mike? No, I'm sorry. I'm my my uh, detector is going off here. When you start, first of all, the Nazis are tools. Uh, the Jews are running this operation. And when you talk about occult Nazification, I think it's it's like talking about Freemasons. Freemasonry is a word that people use when they can't bring themselves to say the word Jew. This is not that's not part of the play here. The Nazis, the Jews are using the Nazis as proxy warriors. As soon as the Jews win back Kazaria or the Pale of the Settlement, they will take these people out and shoot them. You think the Nazis would be smart enough to understand that, but they're not. And to talk about the mystification here, this is over mystification. I'm sorry, I don't agree with this. Well, the Russians say they're fighting Nazis, not Jews. I agree they're fighting Nazis, but I'm saying the Nazis are not in control of the operation. If you're talking about a program, a kind of theological framework called occult Nazification, that's not what's at work here. I'm sorry, it's not. Okay, well, I'll, I'll uh, mention that to the VT editor. Uh, well, another uh, another operation on the internet, uh, very different from Veterans Today, is Wikipedia. Uh, the home of establishment propagandists, Zionist propagandists, NATO propagandists, uh, the usual suspects. And, and look at how they compare the legality of the Russian invasion of Ukraine to the legality of the Iraq war. The beginning of their entry on, on the Ukraine says that the Russian invasion of Ukraine violated international law, constitutes a crime of aggression in international criminal law, just straightforward. Whereas if you turned to their entry on the Iraq war, it begins... The 2003 invasion of Iraq by the United States and da, 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 coalition was, was widely viewed as a violation of the United Nations Charter. But no, it wasn't a war crime of aggression. Uh, give me a break. I mean, the, the Russian war does have a very strong defensive rationale because the NATOization of Ukraine is about putting first strike hypersonic missiles 30 seconds from Moscow right there on Russia's border. Uh the Iraq war has no defensive rationale whatsoever. That was pure aggression. And yet Wikipedia has it the opposite. What's up with that? Well, the war began in 2014 when Victoria Newland overthrew the government. So it's 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 completely uh, uh, disingenuous uh, to talk this way. The, cl the classic example, this is George W. Bush uh, standing up and saying this was an illegal invasion of a sovereign country. <laughs> what did you do, George? Why are you uh, why why are you getting a pass here? Because history is written by the victors, I guess, or something like that. No, it's a colossal double standard here. Well, the forces behind this uh, Ukraine aggression against Russia uh, are everywhere in Europe, of course, and the Open Society Institute is well known as one aspect of of them. Uh, well, Open Society apparently spent a lot of money trying to overthrow. Orban once again in Hungary, and once again they failed. Uh, Orban won with a landslide, uh, and this may presage a Marine Le Pen victory in France, and both Orban and Le Pen are viewed as Putin allies. So, Mike, do you think the people of Europe are going to say, no, we don't want to starve, we don't want to freeze, we don't want our industries to stop, we don't want our economies to collapse, all because of this United States, uh, whoever, new world order war on Russia? Well, it depends on which country you're talking about. And the difference between Hungary and Germany is the fact that Germany was conquered and subjected to absolutely ruthless social engineering that got the German people to internalize the commands of their oppressors. And this is what was fueling 
the former antagonism between the European Union uh, headquarters and countries like Poland and uh, and Hungary. So the war was uh, the war was extremely effective in that it first of all broke uh, Germany completely from Russia, but secondly because it it broke. Uh, that uh, block of culture warriors, uh, uh, the alliance between uh, Hungary and Poland, that's down. That went down the drain because they knew that they could prey on Poland's Rus- Russophobia, and they succeeded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it still remains to be seen how this is all going to sort out. But you're right that the war started in 2014 with that CIA coup or Freemasonic or whatever it was, according to veterans today, but whatever it was, it it was a coup that launched the war in Russia back in 2014. And it followed in the wake of many, many, many dozens of other similar CIA coups d'etat. And right now over in Pakistan, Imran Khan, who is actually a a veterans today ally, uh, is in the crosshairs of another such coup. Uh, millions of Pakistanis came out to see him speak in person on March 27th. Imran Khan said that foreign powers are engineering a regime change in Pakistan. He pulled a letter out of his pocket and waved it. This letter was apparently from the Americans uh, ordering him and threatening him, ordering him to stand down as the Americans had bribed some Pakistani legislatures. So one of the minor parties, the part of his coalition, is now... uh, going for a no-confidence motion. There's going to be a no-confidence motion apparently later today. And if Khan doesn't go along with that, step down and disappear, the CIA is threatening to murder him. And this is just typical. But uh, Pakistanis know that a long list of their leaders, uh, Ali Khan, Bhutto, Ziel Haq, uh, Benazir Bhutto, were all murdered by U.S. intelligence. And Imran Khan, who everyone, even his enemies, admits is that rare bird and honest politician, looks like he may, may be the next victim. But God willing, uh, he he may yet survive and, and triumph over these coup plotters. So this is pretty exciting. This is a great article, this particular Imran Khan takes on America. And the next two articles are also about this uh, Russia objecting to the U.S. doing a coup in Pakistan, just like it did in Ukraine in 2014. And then the next slide is uh, a Middle East eye story explaining why uh, his enemies, not just the Americans, of course, but also their local stooges, uh, want Khan out. So this is uh, interesting. It's also interesting that the mainstream media is not making any connection between this Pakistan CIA coup in progress and the 2014 coup that launched the war on Russia. That was a good coup. We only talk about good coups. No, the problem, as I said before, the fundamental problem in the world, political problem in the world right now is does representative government represent the people or does it represent the oligarchs? And as the evil empire, the American empire is kind of the brokerage for oligarchic power. They are the ones who are going to use their power to force people they don't like out of office. Either you go along or we get rid of you. Uh, That's what Hungary is. That's what that's what Florida is. I'm saying it's across the board. It's the same story. It's the same story. That's what Magafuli was in Tanzania. He opposed the World Health Organization and suddenly he's dead and his successor walks out and she's wearing a mask. Well, guess what happened there? It's the same thing throughout the world. We're going to have to resolve this issue because right now, if you represent your own people, someone's going to kill you. So these leaders are 
faced with dying uh, for the day, the gay disco, or so says some some guy named E. Michael Jones. Uh, let's move to that slide. Uh, so this was about your debate with Greg Johnson, a two-faced Jana symbol, if there ever was one. He's a white nationalist uh, Ukraine supporter. Uh, sounds like he should join the Azov Brigade and go out there and you know put his money where his mouth is. So this was a very maddening debate, Mike. I actually watched more than half of it. It's quite long. And this Johnson character, uh, they've pulled him up somewhere from central casting. Yeah, it was it was maddening. <laughs> you probably noticed that from my exasperation in trying to find some type of common ground with this man, like the like the Victorian Newland coup d'état. Everything I would say was dismissed according to the ex catheter statements of CNN. And then he he even said he never watched CNN. Well, what do you do? You get it directly from uh, the CIA then. So basically, what what you're seeing here is this whole white boy thing is a hoax. It's a hoax. Basically, it's a, it's a, a, an identity crisis that people like Frody, Frody Mitjord, organized this debate. Frody is a Norwegian. He grew up, uh, he was baptized a Lutheran, he grew up at a time where the Lutheran church evaporated, uh, certainly as the uh, state church of Norway, and he was left with an identity crisis, and it's filled. he filled it by becoming white. Frody, you're not white. You're Norwegian. And I'm saying that white, I've been saying this for years now. I had a debate with Jared Taylor. I'm saying white is a, just a phony category. It's an, a, a form of identity theft that allows people with a hidden agenda to come in. Now, the hidden agenda could be uh, mainstreaming Jews by claiming Jews are white. And so therefore, we say should be our friends or we're not involved in these conflicts. Or it could be uh, let's mainstream homosexuals, which is basically Greg Johnson's position. And let's jump on board with the Ukrainians and wave the Ukrainian flag which is his position. That's too. right. So I said to Johnson... Not, white Nazis in America should join the uh, you can't, Ukrainian... Well, I said, that was basically the, the the topic I proposed to Frody was white boys should uh, go to the Ukraine and work with the Jews and the Nazis to advance NATO's agenda. That was my topic, and it got changed into something else. I like yours I made, better. But I liked it better, too. Uh, so I agree with you. But uh, I, I said to uh, Greg Johnson, I said... Did you book your flight yet? Well, well, no, no, he's not flying over there. And so I segued into in the article. He's to American this guy, Azov. Henry, Henry Huff, one of the white boys who did go over there, had a little YouTube video saying, we're all getting killed. <laughs> Don't come. Don't come. They're, they're using us as cannon fodder. They're sending us into into battle with with no no ammunition. Yeah. Well, I guess Greg Johnson saw that video, so he's uh, just sticking and so around. So he's staying here. home. But yeah. more than that, so let's back off. I said it to Greg. Uh, George Weigel, the American Catholic neoconservative Jewish puppet, again, thumping his chest from the safe confines of his think tank in Washington, D.C., telling, send military aid to the Ukraine. Well, what do you, so the people can die, George? Did you book your ticket yet, George? Max Boot, did you book your ticket yet? You're doing the same thing. Bill Crystal, have you booked your ticket yet? Because they are asking people like you to go over there and fight. Well, none of these guys booked their tickets to Ukraine, but in our next slide, we do see that whistleblower Jack Maxey did book his ticket to Switzerland, uh, where he is going to try to reveal 450 gigabytes of deleted material, including eight 80,000 images and videos from Hunter Biden's laptop. Um, I mean, just stuff we've already seen include like child porn selfies and just horrible stuff. And God only knows what's on the rest of this stuff. And he's been gotten his share of death threats. Uh, black suburban SUVs were outside his house. 
And uh, if you if you don't release enough of this so they know you can release it all, I'm telling you, brother, you're a dead man, was what one intelligence guy told him and stuff. So so uh, the bottom line here is I thought this was the best line in the story. The American people were utterly betrayed because I guarantee you that Joe Biden couldn't run for dog catcher if the American people knew about this laptop. So uh, but the bigger game here, whether this the media is threatening to splatter the Hunter Biden child porn selfies all over the front page of The New York Times, if Biden doesn't declare third World War Three against Russia. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Well, why, why don't we have the picture of the man's face there? Why is that? Why has that been blocked out? This, this we're not going to we have to have some type of juridical instrument to examine this. That's yeah. the problem here. Until we have and Barr, Attorney General Barr, and torpedo that under Trump. So the deep state is deeply committed to having this not come out. And until it does come out in some type of juridical uh, instrument, like the one where Victoria Newland was asked by Marco Rubio, are there bio labs? And she said, yes, because she said it under oath. Anything less is not going to work. Uh, in indeed. And so we'll see whether this ever gets to jury. One of the scary things about this is that Maxi keeps trying to post this stuff on file sharing sites and it just disappears. These are the same file sharing sites where the authorities claim that they can't stop the child porn because they have absolutely no idea who's posting. They have no control, no ability to even surveil. And yet when he puts the Hunter Biden material on the file sharing site, it's down magically within less than an hour. So it just tells you uh, how the five eyes uh, are uh, absolutely complicit in the child porn, among other things. Oh, boy. Well, we're living in a decadent and depraved world. And Mike Tyson would certainly agree with that. It's so decadent and depraved that they're not even going to let him sell these little ear-shaped cannabis gummies in Colorado. These little ears that have a bite taken out of them, commemorating his fight with Hollyfield in 1997 when he took a bite out of Hollyfield's ear. This is the American cultural spectacle that we're fighting for in Ukraine. Don't it make you feel proud? Yes. Yes, this he's got it's got lawsuit written all over it. Mike Tyson should be able to sue them for violating the interstate commerce clause. There so you go. Stand go up for, for the Constitution. Support Mike Tyson. Support little gu marijuana gummies with ears bitten out. And above all, support False Flag Weekly News. We need you, folks. Uh, we don't want to own nothing and be happy. So support our fundraisers. Thank you so much, E. Michael Jones. Always great doing the show with you. Keep it up. Thank you, Kevin. Okay. See you again next week, and uh, viewers, see you next month, Mike, and uh, God bless. I uh, hope we're all still here, inshallah. <laughs>